Hello, kia ora, and welcome to Purpose Fueled Performance with me, your host, Tim Jones, the Grow Good Guy. Go! <laughs> so apparently we're live. Um, we'll soon find out in a minute. Um, I've got my LinkedIn open over here, so I'll, I'll, I'll know when we actually are live. Awesome. Um, Nicola Turner, hello. Thank you for being here. How are you today? Yeah, good. Stoked to be here. Excited about our team. Excellent. And I just realized um, when I sent you the text just before that we had actually connected in a previous life when I was doing some stuff with conscious consumers or what is now CoGo. So we hope that you say that. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Genuinely small world. So there we go. Um, So yeah, for for people tuning in, um, who are you? What do you do? Why, Why are we here talking? Why are we here talking? So uh, my name is Nicola Turner, or you're very welcome to call me Nick, and I'm a Capricorn, and I like long walks on the beach. <laughs> this is a dating podcast, right? Yes, yes. <laughs> yeah. Pur- purpose dating. Yeah. Cool. Yeah, just don't tell my husband. Uh, so, yeah, no, I think probably more relevant is the fact that I spent the first 15 years of my career working in the fast-moving consumer goods industry, or the FMCG industry. So essentially the industry that puts products on our supermarket shelves. And my job in that industry became all about understanding shopper insights, shopper behavior, and then using that insight to orchestrate things to get people to buy more. And then about 10 years ago, I, and it was a well-being trigger, but a, we, we being myself and my husband started on a sustainability journey. And sort of started going, it really became a journey about questioning every aspect of our consumption because that's our impact on the world around us. And my personal values and what I was doing for a job just started getting a little bit too divergent. So I started questioning how I could kind of fuse those two things together. So the kind of standing joke now is that I used to be about understanding shopper behavior to get people to buy more. And now I'm about understanding human behavior to get people to consume less. And it's a weirdly similar kind of approach, but just with what I consider to be a more kind of purpose-driven outcome. And yeah, I have a social enterprise called Mainstream Green that works with councils kind of in the consultancy space and running some campaigns for them. I do a lot of speaking gigs in organizations and businesses just to get them really excited and give them some tools around how to be more sustainable and then I do public facing stuff so I had a book come out in January I do live events yeah thanks yeah yeah so that's kind of it in a nutshell super cool um quite a lot to unpack there but I think a I mean certainly for me a seemingly frighteningly similar um journey to mm. kind of purpose you know m- m- i had a very similar thing about 10 or so years ago it's kind of like wh- what am i doing what why am i what am i actually contributing to and is what i'm contributing to worthwhile mm. um and, I, and that's partly why i'm doing this podcast or this interview series is to help more people realize that actually there's quite a few people that have those moments in their corporate career and you can do something about it and it is pretty good on the other side. So thank you for being open to sharing that journey. Um, and I also love the, I kind of feel like the same for me because I do quite a bit of sales training. Mm. And again, it's kind of like the sales training, the psychology of how and why people buy, use that as a force for good to help them have a product or a service that they actually need rather than something that the those dodgy colouring in marketing people make you want to buy something because they think, you know, you think you want to have it. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And I think it was a big part for me as well is how do I, I didn't want to start again, you know, and I felt like I'd learnt 
a lot and consumption is the way of the world and there's a trillion dollar marketing industry out there that I kind of you know I had had immersed myself in and so it wasn't about going against that it was about yeah absolutely as you say how do you use that insight as a force for good so yeah Mm. So was there like a specific moment, like for me, there was a specific moment I was standing in an operating theatre. So I used to be a medical device rep before I sort of had my midlife, uh, early midlife crisis, purpose epiphany, kind of two sides of the same coin. And um, I distinctly remember the moment I was standing in an operating theatre, the surgeon, the orthopaedic surgeon was being particularly belligerent, more so than on on any normal day. Um, And I just thought, you know what, I'm I'm done with this. And I Mm. went home after that, like it was like at lunchtime, I went home and said to my wife, I'm done, I'm out can't do this anymore what, what did, did you have like a specific moment i call it the um what's the the uh the polite phrase would be the fts moment the f this scheiser mm-hmm. moment when you kind of like flip the table it's like i'm done see you all later i'm out of here mm-hmm. did you have like a moment like that no i wish i did and i think i'm just gonna orchestrate one just so that i can say <laughs> that i did but... <laughs> to feel like you had the full experience yeah so. i feel like i want to flip a table now <laughs> Uh, so no, I didn't flip a table. No, mine, I don't feel like there was a a single sort of lightning rod moment. It's definitely been a little bit of a creep, I guess, versus a, you know, a significant event. But the the one, the trigger that I kind of am able to pinpoint it to, and I have honestly considered making up a story because it's really not a rock star moment. It's not a flip the table moment. It's not a, oh my gosh. Uh, It's my husband started getting very mild dermatitis on the ring finger on his left hand. That finger changed everything for me. Mm. Um, so yeah, no, we and it was really a well-being journey for us. So it was one of those things where he got it. He went to the doctor, got steroid cream, used steroid cream, cleared up like that. Stop using it, would come back. So it was kind of this. Clearly, we were treating the symptoms and not the cause. And then somewhere in the rolodex in my mind was the uh, something I'd read or heard, which is on average through the products we use, we're putting over four hundred different synthetic chemicals on our skin every day. So that was our trigger and it started very much as a personal well-being journey but then it kind of opened up you know and and sustainability purpose whatever you want to call it you know I think everybody comes at it from really different gateways but when you get in you kind of realize that everything's connected right so it became a journey about consumption and those sorts of things so so yeah it was a well-being thing it was my husband's finger it was not flip the table but it's been a just a journey of connection I guess over the last 10 years that continues to evolve I think I mean it's that kind of moment because um, I was emceeing a conference uh, a couple of weekends ago now in uh, Christchurch. Uh, I've just tagged Ewen Wong, who's the amazing uh, orchestrator of that event. Oh, cool. um, and it's all about um, envir- It's called Enviropast, and it's all about getting to people thinking about plastics in the environment. And um, it's Professor Shaw, I, can't, I think it's Ian Shaw, I can't remember his, his name, he's a toxicologist in Canterbury Uni, or oh. UC, and he he talks, his talk is frightening when mm. you get to learn about the amount of plastic that is surrounding you mm. and how devastating it is, not just only for you as the human, but more broadly for society. And I think, again, for me, it was that, for me, I, ha- I had that moment of realisation that, I'm work- so for me, the, the industry that I was working in, some of the major companies um, and even some of the um, surgeons involved with these companies were complicit in essentially killing patients in service of making more money. And you kind of, 
you have that disconnect in your head and you're kind of yeah. like, that, this isn't me. And it seems like that's kind of what you were having. It's like, you know enough to sort of be dangerous about what's actually in the products that you're selling. And suddenly you do a bit of research, you have a bit of awareness and it's like, hang on a minute, this is not working in the same direction that I fundamentally feel. And I think that's a really common a common thing. So yeah, what, what was your first sort of steps? You did the research, you were you know working um, for these organizations trying to sell as much of this kind of uh, stuff mm. as possible. What was, the, what was your first step? Yeah, so our first step was how do we start looking at the products that we're using on our skin? Because that's obviously where kind of our, um, our challenge was. And so we started by changing our hand soap. That's it. That was kind of the, the first step on the journey, I guess. And then my trigger was, because I'm really, my position on what I do is how do we mainstream sustainability? How do we mm. make it accessible? So, and that was a really big part of my journey is, and a few times I kind of went too hard too fast, but what I realized really quickly was that that just freaks everybody out and is not sustainable in itself, right? So my yeah. trigger was kind of, okay, change the hand like, oh, that seems to help. What's next? Every time we ran out of a product, that was kind of the trigger to go, actually, do we really need this? Because I've spent 15 years convincing people that they needed a different product for every limb and appendage on their body, right? Hold on a minute. Yeah. Really, you know, so it was very much a journey of simplification as well. And nice. that kind of led on to the fact that, oh my gosh, it's, you know, we don't need all of these different products. So that was mm. saving us a ton of money. Yeah. A ton of time because we just weren't shopping, you know, the way that we, we were previously. And then also there was less packaging waste going into our rubbish bin. And that felt good. So then mm. it was what else is in our rubbish bin that we could reduce? Mm. I, mean, I kind of went down that rabbit hole of, of waste reduction. And then it kind of segued from there into, well, what about all of that bigger stuff in our life? So the furniture and the kids' toys and the clothes and all of that other kind of broader relationship with stuff and started reading up about minimalism and living with less and started going down that rabbit hole. Nice. Hello, listeners. Uh, many apologies for the... Uh, pretty ropey editing at about the nine minute mark but on the live stream we had a few dramas with nick's uh microphone and uh, uh speaker connection which meant there's a bit of reverb and stuff going on and we essentially spent five minutes trying to get her to reconnect and disconnect and do all sorts of stuff which ultimately led her to restarting her, her computer so there's a five minute bit of uh, nothingness which i have edited out so um yes enjoy thank you for listening so we were talking about simplification, uh, starting on something really small and not being overly aggressive, which are three things that I also did badly when I, I, I call it my, um, I had like a hard Brexit from the corporate world. Um, I kind of, yeah, had this flip the table moment. It's like, stuff you all, you're all a pack of bastards. I'm out of here. Um, and yeah, I was quite sort of angry at, I guess, what I felt other people had led me to become. Um, it was almost like a bit of a grief process or a bit of a change process, you know, sort of the five steps of change or sort of going through grief. Um, and I think it's kind of natural when you feel like to a degree you might have been hoodwinked by, you know, the companies that you've been representing and or the people that have led you to choose those paths of, of working in that company. So, oh, hang on a minute, you didn't, you didn't tell me everything that I maybe would like to have known for me to have made a good decision about. Or, or do you feel you were genuinely oblivious to, because I was kind of oblivious to a lot of the social and environmental things that I've caused. Yeah. Do, do you feel you were kind of totally oblivious to it? Or was there always a part of you that's kind of like, well, plastic's not great, but I'm happy to keep. 
I think there was definitely a time where I I was oblivious. And I also think there's not like working with some really big corporations as well. I think there's not a whole lot of bad people sitting inside mm-hmm. these big ivory towers planning how to stuff the world. Like I, mm-hmm. you know, like that's kind of what I reflected on as well. I think, uh, you know, I didn't feel like you in terms of people weren't telling me. I think nobody was really thinking mm-hmm. about it. I don't think they were intentionally doing it. I think it just, consumption has become such a normalized part of our society and our world that mm. everybody just kind of was in there to do a good job. <clears throat> yeah. And that's, and I don't think there was a lot of consciousness around it for me or for a lot of people in there. I think it's mm. probably different now because I think things have shifted a lot in terms yep. of business and things. But I think, yeah, 10 years ago, um, there wasn't the same visibility. And Yeah. I mean, I guess for me, it, well, there, there was in a couple of companies, there definitely seemed to be some people who were in their ivory towers with a sort of Machiavellian, like, hmm, literally, you know, how do we round up some small children and make them yeah, go sure. and clean, clean some chimneys today? Because that just sounds fun. Um, but I think for me, it was more in general, it's that kind of um, the corporate focus on, on just maximizing revenue. And, you know, if your um, focus is solely on how do we make as much money, not, you know, rather than you know, is this good for the person, um, that will set you on a path of decision-making that means you make more money and you don't think about other considerations. Whether, and I guess it's kind of like the sins of omission and the sins of commission, you know, do you, do, 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 you, know, do you know that the plastics are quite bad for the planet, but it's the cheapest thing we've got, therefore it's going to make us more money? Or, and I, and I think there's probably a balance. There's probably some people, clearly some people who, you know, were at the, the sort of production end or the the plastic specialist would have had some inclination of the chemical makeup of plastic and what it could potentially do. Mm. But for you working as sort of like a marketing or product manager or something, trying to just get as many products into a store, you, you kind of take for granted that it's been tested and, and this is all good. Yeah. So I guess it's, yeah. it's typically a mix of the two. Yeah. And I, so when, during my transition phase into, you know, what I do now, I, I segued into a role at at regional council. So that was kind of, I was coming back from maternity leave with my second child and I went, I just can't face going back into corporate. Mm. But so I took a job, I took a contract at regional council. And I still remember my first week there going, oh my gosh, like the measures are not purely financial. Mm. This is incredible. Like it felt incredible. (laughs) But then after two weeks, I'm like, this is really hard because profit was it's easy you know like it's really tangible and it's super black and white and people understand it and so uh after a couple of weeks I was kind of in this state of disarray going this is really complex and how do you measure well-being and how do you you know it, it just wasn't as kind of um the the hallway wasn't as defined and as narrow as it had been in corporate so yeah. I can also kind of understand you know that that it's just profit is it's black and white people get it they can measure it um and yeah beyond that it gets a little bit trickier mm. is um michelle sharp uh formerly of kilmarnock enterprises now unicef you know one of her go-to phrases is well there's two parts to it i guess like if if doing good was easy everyone would be doing it mm. and the other part of it is what why is doing good so hard and it's mm. i think that's that's the thing it's like it's relatively easy to work out how to make more money you, you 
cut corners, you cut costs, um, and or you try and sell more on the other side or a bit of both. And it's like, it's pretty well documented. And, and I guess it's sort of the, during the 70s, the whole sort of concept of, well, we're running a bit low of money. Let's fire most of the most of the company. We'll save some money. Like, easy to make more money. It's way harder to sort of go, okay, actually, how do we make maybe not quite as much money, but also ensure that everyone has a good job and they have a livelihood and we don't destroy an entire community by, yeah, making everyone redundant. Mm. And I think that's part of the thing, just the, the sort of the trade wins of all... I mean, historically in business for the last, you know, what, 100 years of capitalism as it is, it's all just, yeah, make as much money, have at it. Yeah. I and, it's, kind of, it's, and I'm not saying, you know, and it was a, it was obviously capitalism as a choice and it's, it's the, you know, the kind of the norm we have now. And I'm not saying that's right or wrong, but it's become such a strong norm that when you kind of yeah. start against that, it feels, yeah, it feels totally. Like- it's like the the fish in water, isn't it? And people, you, you just take it for granted. There's a really good. Um, he's a doc- British documentary maker called Adam Curtis, and one of his uh, documentaries is called Hyper Normalization, um, and that kind of looks into this idea of like things that are just hyper normal that you just take for granted as it's that's how it is. You know, it's like gravity. It's like it's just a thing. It it just happens. You know, you don't stop and think about it or wonder if gravity could happen in a different way because it can't. But there are other kind of systemic things that you just kind of go, well, it's always been like that. Therefore, it's always been like that. Yeah. So, yeah, simple steps. Take some action. Um, don't be angry about it. Don't be angry at the world. I think these are all very good first steps for people wanting to make that step change. And I think also you're sort of very similar to me. It's like you had a set of skills that had been crafted and honed in a corporate environment. And it's like, how, how do you flip those skills and use them as a force for good? That's mm-hmm. That was exactly, um, yeah, my journey. So, yeah, so re- you started working in the regional councils and what sort of work were you were you doing there? So that was in waste minimisation. And I, it was a really, really good stepping stone because it got me inside councils. Like council was, I learned so much, but one of the things I learned was that I love working with councils, but being in a council wasn't the right fit for me, but it allowed me to see enough to go, okay, I can see where I can fit and where I can help and how I can kind of find a niche. So that that gave me the, the... the background and the bravery, I guess, to then go out on my own. And a big chunk of my work is still with councils. And because they, especially in waste minimization in particular, there is, there is funding. There is the central Mm -hmm. government waste levy. There is a remit for all territorial authorities to be doing waste minimization. So part of it was also that it's like, they need to be doing it. Everybody, there's a lot more focus on it, a lot more resource on it. And I can kind of help in that space. So that was like, yeah, I was quite strong. A lot of my focus was in the waste reduction space to begin with, but then I have gone broader one in terms of I, in kind of reflecting on my own journey and two in terms of reflecting on my skill set is what I talk about is mindful consumption right Mm. it's like I said before consumption to me is kind of that overarching everything when it comes to our impact because I think people everybody kind of kind of gets most people kind of get climate change and gets you know get sustainability but they feel quite big and quite high and that can be quite difficult to relate to on a personal level. Whereas if we, you know, I kind of bridge that gap by going, it's all about the consumption choices we make, mm. how and what we consume is our impact. That's our relationship with 
climate change. That's our relationship yeah. with sustainability. So that's become the lens that I've talked about. So that might be the clothes we wear or the food we eat or the electricity we use or the way we get around or the manufacturing that goes into the things that we buy or the waste we create. So that consumption lens has kind of become my focus. Waste is absolutely a big part of that. Everything's connected, but that's become the, the lens and the language that I use. Nice. And I think that's, again, such great, great advice because it is – it can be really hard. You kind of go climate change. Uh, that's yeah. quite a big thing for me. You know, I know, you know, Jacinda's working on it and uh, maybe Boris, who knows what Boris is working on. Um, you know, some of these people, like you know, you're all smart people, you're connected, you're, you're hopefully working on some of this stuff. It can be quite overwhelming to sort of think, well, what do I do? Mm. And, you know, like with the whole EV thing right now, it's like, well, you hear some people say, well, the most sustainable car is the car you've got and run that vehicle into the ground. But then you kind of go, yeah, but it's an old car that's pumping out stuff. So do I, it, mm. and I think that's the, when, when there's overwhelming options and things to, to consider when you are a busy mum, dad, parent, child, daughter, whatever, son, right. you know, we're all busy just trying to get, get through our lives and, and, you know, do the best we can. It's, it is pretty overwhelming. And the, mm. yeah, so I think that's really, really sage advice. Again, just, you know, pick, look at the thing, you know, take control of what you can rather than being overwhelmed by all the things you can't do. Yeah. Just, just on that, like what, <clears throat> where do you see, because if you look at sort of like there's, I guess there's like global things like the UN, you know, you're not UN SDGs looking at, you know, life on land and water. Then you've got the uh, sort of central government level things that they can influence then you've got local government things that they can influence and then at the individual level mm. clearly it's 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 a combination of working with all of them but yeah how, how sort of connected do you get a sense that the whole the whole thing is in terms of sort of mindful consumption because mm. I, I mean i remember it's quite funny you, you listen to sort of the, i think it was the budget maybe not the previous one but the one before and within two sort of breaths they were saying um business confidence is up we're really happy about this you know people are spending the economy's going really well um but we're mindful that there's some mental health issues in new zealand and you kind of go well maybe it's the fact that people are living a life that they don't like so much which means they're buying shit they don't need to compensate for the yes yeah, so how do you there's sort of lots of questions in there but you had the first one how, how do you see the connectivity between the individual the household local governments because the big one for me is kind of like the recycling, you know, the yep. pressure is on the consumer to either buy an alternative product or sort the waste out themselves. Whereas really the easiest thing would be you just put everything in a container and someone will go and sort that and make that all go away for you. Or central government would sort of, which I guess they are kind of increasingly say, you don't get to make that product out of that material. Yeah. Products and products. Yes. So yeah, I mean, I, I always come back to the consumer just because that's, what I know, that's what I get, mm. that's what I relate to, that's where my skill set is because, and and that's kind of my epicenter and not because I think that that's where all the change should come from at all. I think the change needs to come all the way along the chain. Yeah. But I think what people underestimate is how much power we do have as consumers. Yeah. Right? So if you look at the plastic bag ban as an example, mm. you know, if you really kind of, trace that back to where it first began you know it first began with people being really frustrated with mm. how bad plastic is for the environment right you'd see all the stuff on social media you'd see uh, stuff out in the environment we were learning things about the toxicity of it we were you know all of those kinds of things and people were getting 
upset and frustrated about that and maybe they were posting on social media or maybe they were emailing their local supermarket and complaining or you know there were there was your boomerang bag kind of concepts popping up and so supermarkets were going oh this is important to our customers right because having been in the supermarket game it is highly competitive it is all about market share so if there is you're constantly looking at what's your customer demand you know what mm. what do you want how do you better service that to gain that market share so for them to go oh well, actually this is important to our customers mm. we're seeing this kind of appetite for things that then they obviously started doing their own kind of plastic bag you know charging for plastic bags etc then central government goes well this is important to consumers or the general public businesses are behind us because they're starting to do something about it we better do something about it and then the plastic bag ban kind of came in place so all of them had a role to play but i think and i'm assuming but i think if you really go back to the epicenter of it it started with consumer demand or consumer dissatisfaction and i also you know having worked inside a consumer goods product as well it's all about you were you were constantly going, what's the consumer demand? Like, I think consumers sit outside going, oh, businesses, it's all about businesses. Businesses have to make the decisions. They need to drive the change. You know, consumer goods companies, which is what I know, are going, what do our consumers want? How do we possibly keep up with our consumers? And everybody's kind of feeling like the other one's got the power. And Mm. so, you know, any smart business and consumer goods, as an example, would be going, oh, my gosh, there's a consumer demand for more sustainable products or low waste products or whatever that might be how do we, it becomes a race to kind of you know create product innovation in that space so but again it kind of for me that all comes back to the consumers yeah right. um, so, well no it doesn't all come back to it. that's not fair but that's i think we have a lot of power and i think we need to be coming at it from all angles but my you know my kind of heartland where i spend my time and my energy is on that consumer bit because i think there is a lot of power there yeah Nice. And it was interesting at the uh, Envirapath conference, uh, we had uh, the is it the Honourable Eugenie Sage, I think it is, but she was like, just call me Eugenie. Um, this it was really refreshing hearing a politician saying this, is that, you know, um, individuals will drive business, which will drive government policy. Um, which has kind of always been my my thought is if and that's partly why for me the the purpose on the individual level is so important because if you are a better person with higher levels of awareness of yourself and your impact and your connectivity with each other and the planet and what have you that will lead you to make better purchasing decisions which will lead you to demand more from the businesses that you support which will then in turn influence government policy so that they get elected essentially Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I just put a note there. Um, Cogo or Co- Conscious Consumers, which we um, connected with a while back, that they like that's one of their big things is helping you um, understand and yeah, understand what you're passionate about, um, and also helping you find and connect with businesses that care. But also, if you're a business, it's a really great tool for you to understand what your customers care about, so that you can start that conversation. And it's good to know that Catherine loves Cogo. So go, Catherine. Awesome. Um, yeah. yeah, and yeah. it helps you to navigate, right? Like that's so for consumers. So I think you know having platforms like that that help make it easier to navigate and kind of yep. do the due diligence for you. Yeah, amazing. So yeah, I think it's an awesome platform. Mm. Mm. So um, let's delve into some of the psychology then. Like for, I mean, when when you're educating consumers, do do you like 
let them in on some of the tricks that they're being exposed to in the super, in the supermarkets. Because when I'm teaching sales training, but also when I'm because again the psychology of sales training, like understanding other humans, is is deeply connected to the psychology of purpose and understanding who you are and and how you connect with the world around you. And I always say to people, if you want to have a really great lesson in 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 the tools of influence, go and walk around a supermarket because. Or, or any good retail environment, because the whole environment has been set up to try and make you spend more money. Absolutely. Um, so, yeah, do, do, you, do you delve into that in your sessions with people to, to sort of let them in on the tips and tricks that they're yeah. being exposed to? Yes. Yeah, sometimes. Absolutely. And I think the, the really interesting thing is, is that broadly people are kind of aware of it. Mm. You know, like we, we kind of know, and as you say, it's not just supermarkets. It's any well-designed retail environment. Yeah. It's, it's good business, right? So yeah. all of the retail science stuff. So the interesting thing is I think we're broadly aware of it. You know, most people yeah. kind of get that milk and bread and all those basics are right in the back corner for a reason. Yeah. You know, yeah. you in and it's the beautiful fresh, fresh produce and the smell of the rotisserie chicken or the smell of Mrs. Higgins' cookies or yeah. whatever that is. I think people are kind of broadly aware of that. Mm. They might not be aware of all of it. Uh, you know, like we used to do a lot of work on on shelf placement, you know, simple things like it's got to be between hip and eye level. But I think if yep. you think about that, it's pretty obvious, right? Because yep. we, unless we're really looking for something, we don't, we're time poor, we don't look on yep. the shelf, you know. It's just on autopilot. Yep. Totally, we're on autopilot, which is what you were saying before, right? Is life is so busy that I think if people kind of stopped and think about, thought about this stuff, they'd kind of inherently know it. And I mm. think they kind of do. But again, it's kind of irrelevant because we just operate on autopilot. So I think most of us just kind of fall into the uh, succumbing to it because yeah. the, and it's really interesting. I really go to the supermarket. So we go food shopping every six to eight weeks. And my husband's currently at home kind of doing, you know, his the lion's share of the domestic stuff. So I haven't been to a supermarket in months. Right. And I went recently and I'm like, oh, my gosh, like it's such an intense experience. Mm -hmm now in terms of how do you navigate all of these different products and make better choices like it's pretty full-on so yeah. so much of our daily behavior is in that subconscious or that unconscious part of our brain it's autopilot right so yeah. so yeah i think uh, absolutely i kind of let people uh in on it but i think they already are the hardest thing is how do you kind of flick that switch into that conscious mm -hmm. part of your brain to disrupt that and start making more conscious choices and so my example with the supermarket is my journey was very much i started by every time i was going to the supermarket go focusing on one product taking yep. an extra 60 to 90 seconds standing right. in front of that category so say it's toilet paper right standing in front of that category and going how can I make a better choice and again there is no perfect choice you know I talk a lot about don't let perfect get in the way of good you know because you say before you can tangle yourself up in knots if it's like do I sell my car and buy an EV or what do I do yeah so, you know and I use the example of toilet paper right you stand in front of the toilet paper section and you're like okay I could buy double length toilet paper because it's twice as much product in the same amount of packaging right so I've just halved my my plastic nice. Yeah. Yep. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Um, Never thought of that. No. That's, exactly. that's genius. It's like, and you have to change the role half as often, which is a massive win when nobody asks them. To so it could be that choice or it could be, you know what, I'm going to choose a brand that's made in New Zealand or I'm yep. going to choose a brand that have FSC, Forestry Stewardship Council, you know, certified sources in terms of where where the, the pop comes from. I'm going to buy something that's made out of recycled 
clearly not recycled toilet paper. It's recycled paper. <laughs> well, recycled, yes, but reused, maybe no, not. Maybe yeah. not. <laughs> or I'm going to buy one that's not perfumed or bleached because then it's less yeah. chemicals. You know, all of those are better choices. Mm. Uh, and But as you said before, one, don't get overwhelmed with which is the best because it's also, your family's also going to be, you know, good with using it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Don't get the tracing paper. No, exactly. <laughs> exactly. And there's, pri you know, price is going to come into that equation as well. But to me, if you are making a conscious choice, it's going to be a better choice. Yeah. Even if it's not the perfect choice because there is no mm. such thing. And that was kind of my journey is just choose one product at a time. Because so I, I used to do, and occasionally I still do them, zero waste home tours through my house here in Cambridge. Mm. And one time somebody messaged me afterwards and went, I've just spent three and a half hours in the supermarket going through all of my products. And I'm like, wow. don't do that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Are you clinically sane still or are you? <laughs> yeah, I don't do therapy that you need to talk to someone else about that. Yeah. Because that's, whereas, you know, it's really easy to go, oh, look, changing my toilet paper purchase decision, it's not going to save the world. And it's not going to save the world. Of course mm. it's not. But one, it's a gateway. Yeah you know, to other change, to it just, you know, it, 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 it's change and making a change feels mm. good no matter how yep. small or insignificant it is, it feels good and it will always lead on to other changes and also exactly. I'm yep. so passionate about the power of social norms, you know, right? Like I change my toilet paper, I mention it to my sister, now she's going to change her toilet paper and yes. else, you know, but you know, that's yep. what change happens, right? So, yep. yeah. And that's what, yeah, knowledge is power and like you say, you, you change one, you, you might tell... You know that then helps me make a bet that that initial decision a better one more quickly, which means I'm then equipped to make a get into my second decision more quickly. Yeah, yeah. Um, what what are your thoughts, or do you have any insight on? Because obviously, you know, greenwashing is a thing. Um, mm. under the sort of the B Corp stuff, I'm trying to my camera's back to front. There we go, B Corp stuff. You know, there's um a lot of claims are made by mm -hmm. companies about how good their product is. And again, you know, for a, I, it's, I guess it's interesting that it's called fast moving consumer goods, but it's almost, you're also a fast moving consumer because you're so busy, you're so harried, you haven't got time to to go and Google and go, well, okay, they're claiming that this is made from, you know, uh, you know, really good, pick on the toilet paper. Like they're, they're claiming it's made from yeah. FSC. And if you've got FSC, then, you know, we'll take it that you, you have got that certification. But it's easy to, to see a claim, see a brand name that has eco or green or sustainable in it. And you kind of just go, oh, yeah, it must be okay. So, yeah, yeah what, what what advice would you have for, you know, people wanting to make better decisions and, and who are worried about the greenwashing or brandwashing yeah. side of things? And it's, it's really interesting. I was having this conversation yesterday, actually, in terms of the most powerful thing we can do is actually to slow our consumption, right? It's to, and this, I was talking about this in the context of fashion, where the most powerful thing, the most sustainable thing to do in terms of our wardrobe, our clothing, or our fashion is to have less and wear it more. You know, that's the most powerful thing we can do. Yep. But that's that doesn't really fit the capitalist model of selling more, right? So it's mm. quite a hard thing to market. So I think that's kind of the lens that we need to come at it from. It's not just about I'm buying this product, I'm going to switch to buying a more sustainable product. Actually, mm. the most powerful thing we can do is to slow our consumption. And I'll use health and beauty as an example just because that's where I spent a lot of my career. My job or as an organisation, it was always about how do we get people to add one more product into their 
Mm. Right, you're using eight skincare products. How do we get you to use nine? You're using nine, yep. you use 10. You know, so actually I just flipped and reversed that in terms of, okay, if I'm using 12 products now, how do I take one out? How do I take one out? How do I take one out? So I think that's actually the most powerful thing we can do is actually just to slow our consumption instead of going, I need to just stop buying what I'm buying and start buying more sustainable products. But that's kind of not the glamorous side of sustainability. <laughs> yeah, it's it's kind of, but it's equally sort of frighteningly obvious, isn't it? It's just like have have less stuff. Um, and again, I think for me, this was it was interesting. You know, when we were in lockdown last year, and some organisations were trying to claim that they were essential, and it's like, well, that that's just an interesting thing, isn't it? Like, is and and for me, with the, with a purpose lens at an organisational level, if you weren't deemed to be an essential business then why does your business exist because if it's not essential for a human mm. what is it then is it is it just marketing fluff where you've created a thing that you can make people buy mm. through the trickery and tools of of sales and marketing and the tools of influence um it for me it's just a really interesting thing to think about it's like mm. does a human need your product if, it, if the human doesn't actually need your product you know there was, um, I think it was an article, I'll try and find the link to it. Um, it was in the uh, British press maybe a month or so ago, talking about how a group of lawyers are, have come together to cr basically create a um, legal, legally defined uh, description of eco-genocide so, or ecocide. So and it's, it's a thought I've often had that, you know, what, what, would it, what would it look like in 10, 15 years time when there's maybe a Nuremberg style trial based on climate change and environmental destruction? And, and they'd say, well, Nicola, you were working as a category manager for, I think you were at Procter & Gamble, was that who you wanted to come? You know, so, you, so you're working at P&G, um, you knew that climate change was a thing, um, you knew that plastics were bad, you knew that they were massive endocrine disruptors, and yet you still were selling more and more each year. Could you could you describe to the court why you were doing that? Mm -hmm. and, and you kind of go, well, we've now got a legal definition of what kind of eco-genocide is. Yeah, well. Clearly, they're, they're doing that for a reason, so that they can start going, hey, no, actually, th this brand or this product or, or you as an organization are doing this so um yeah interesting to ponder i think for a lot of organizations you know what's your true reason for being is it just is it as a vehicle to make more money or is it actually serving someone and i think linking consumers who are increasingly savvy and realizing that actually i don't need to buy as much stuff and i'm actually happier um an interesting kind of crossroads to see where that might might all go yeah, yeah, fascinating. And I think we are in this, you know, just looping back to your question about um, greenwashing, it, it is, it's it's super hard to navigate at the moment. So I think so much onus is put on the consumer to do that. And we're mm. kind of in that tricky space where it's like, we don't have, um, you know, standards around packaging or compostability mm. and all those kinds of things. Yeah, yeah. We're in this kind of, yeah, this big kind of, gray space where I, th I think change will come but at the moment it is mm. to navigate like there's apps and things like Kogo as you talked about I have one called chemical maze on my phone because look science okay. never my strong suit so reading yep. you know ingredients and things uh, so I started using that to to you can just input the ingredient name and it kind of gives you that traffic lighted you know smiley face or angry face or right. everything in between so I there are a few tools that I use 
like that and you can obviously read up on companies and things like that but yeah we're we're in a little bit of a tricky space at the moment because everybody's becoming more aware of it but there aren't necessarily super easy to use you know ways mm. to like that. Mm. yeah hmm it is it's hard isn't it this adulting mm. is not like what they said it was in the brochure i feel particularly in this modern mm-hmm. modern world yeah yeah, and yeah, it's, yeah. And from it because like the, the space that i work in is behavior change right how do we actually change human behavior and, the, and mm. the, the tricky bit is sometimes we've kind of got to take half a step backwards to go forward mm. right so yeah. you, like you know i've done through the work i do with councils we've done work in the hospitality industry with cafes and things around coffee cups and you'll go into a cafe and they are so stoked with themselves because they feel like they're doing the right thing by getting sourcing compostable coffee cups right Mm. they're spending more on them they've spent time they've really you know and they feel like it's the right thing to do but obviously compostable cups are still highly problematic one they're still disposable two we don't have the infrastructure to be able to you know actually actually compost compost them yep you know do we really know the impacts of compostable packaging yet no you know it's almost just again it's just we're just switching our consumption we're not challenging our consumption Mm. or disposability of it so you kind of got to unpick that and go actually compost that's awesome that you've started using compostable cups but you know and you've kind of got to and, and it's not, people don't want to feel bad. You know, like my big focus is how do you make people feel good about change? How do you make yes. them feel good? But you've kind of got to take that, you know, you've got to give people, and I don't like overwhelming people with how bad things are, but you need to have a little bit of context around the why. So that people can it is, it's a really fine line, isn't it, between, yeah. and I think this is, for me, this is historically where the sustainability world has got it wrong, is that it's like, we're going to hell in a handbasket, you're part of the problem, you need to change what you're doing. And people don't like being shouted at. They don't like being told that they're part of the problem. Mm. And it's, it's. I think when I, because like in my sales training, I sort of teach about uh, Robert Cialdini's six tools of influence. Okay. Um, you know, how do you get people, you know, it's, it is, I guess, like mind control to a degree, but again, used as a, as a force for good. Um, and it's hard to influence someone if then, you know, if you don't have alignment with them and, um, I think what's really interesting is when you look at, um, like, because for me, you know, humans are, are fundamentally driven by two emotions. It's either fear or desire. And yeah. I think sustainability yeah. has thrown the fear, um, you know, at people. Like, if you don't stop what you're doing, the world is going to burn. Your children are going to die screaming in an inferno. And that's confronting and people are kind of like, well, I don't, this is all too much. But what I find really interesting is I kind of like watching marketing and advertising just to see the trends and the one for me that i think really sums up how the business world has nailed this is insurance because historically it was always if you don't have insurance and your house burns down you're gonna have nothing so you should get insurance whereas now particularly the um the aa advert with the whole born free it's like you know you do what you want live your best life go crazy but don't worry about it because we're here to help you and i think yeah that's that's something which I think Ben and Kogo is definitely nailing. And I think by the sounds of it, you're nailing is let's, let's approach this from a positive angle of you feeling good by doing good with small steps that are easy for you to take rather than sort of you being shouted at by some eco warrior who knows everything about the planet. It's, yeah. it's, it's a real twist. Yeah, it's a real balance. And I think also, you know, and, and having, you know, my background in corporate as well, which would be similar to yours is sales is all about selling the benefits, right? You know, yeah. you selling the, the, the thing, you're selling the benefits that it brings. And that's been an interesting journey for me as well in terms of how do you, because often saving the planet is not enough of a benefit. It's cool, yep. people 
say that that's what they want to do, but it really, it's not super personal, you know, yeah. like it's not relatable on the individual level. So, uh, so that's definitely a big part of it. But for me, it's also been going, well, what are the other benefits? What are the benefits that I've found in my journey and how do I position those to other people? So for me, it's, you know, slowing our consumption has fundamentally simplified our life. Mm. you know and it saved us a heap of money it saved us a heap of time you know because things like we just you know one survey found that we're going to spend eight and a half years of our lives shopping wow you know so so that's a big thing that we just don't do anymore we only go food shopping every six to eight weeks you know we read mm. shopping for for things and that what's the benefit of that well it's more time with our family you know we're kind of reconnected to the more important stuff in life that's not things and you know i found that that's a real sweet spot that resonates with people mm. um, but I, yeah that was a, a learning for sure um in terms of when i first started out it was all about come and learn about sustainability be more sustainable and people are like yeah nah no thanks or you just end up preaching to the converted right whereas if you're like actually you know um Give me like I haven't spoken to one person, one parent who doesn't watch, who is doesn't feel overwhelmed with the amount of toys and stuff that their kids have. <laughs> right? Yeah. That's a pain point, you know. Mm. That's, so that's when you know, like, if I'm marketing uh, my book or my workshops or anything, that's where you know where I'm kind of targeting is okay. That's a pain point that people can personally relate to, and by the way, it has a benefit of reducing your impact as well. Nice. Smart. Yeah, I think that's, yeah, you're 100% right. It's like, what's in it for you? Above and beyond trying to save the planet. Um, I'm right. It's all about, yeah. 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 Yeah, yeah, really cool. So zero waste, um, how do you, like, obviously buying less is the start, but mm. to have a zero waste house, like for me, looking at the amount of rubbish that we just put out, put out in our bin on Wednesday night, or yeah, Wednesday night for Thursday collection. Um, yeah. How do you do that? What what's what would, what would be the steps to getting to zero waste? Mm. And like zero waste is an oxymoron, right? We're never going to be completely zero waste. But so we put out the equivalent of one wheelie bin of rubbish a year. We're a family of four. Wow. Yeah, um, yeah, we we burn the rest. No, I'm joking. I'm joking. <laughs> with the, with our old tires <laughs> and we just put some diesel on it. <laughs> yeah, I mean it's zero waste. There's, none, there's nothing <laughs> left. The amount of the amount of petrol we put on it. <laughs> I love it. You've spoken like a proper sales and marketing person. Well, you wanted the you wanted the outcome. Yeah, yeah. Actually, we could get we could literally get the zero. Um, no, no, we don't. Uh, so, I mean, the big things that we do. Uh, I mean, uh, you know, coming back to kind of my council lens on things, most waste audits will show that the biggest proportion of a residential rubbish bin is food waste. You know, so food waste is a yeah, it's a massive problem. One, we're wasting yeah. food. Yeah. Absolutely, we can start composting and worm farming and, you know, put pressure on our council to collect the food scraps. But the most powerful thing we can do is just to eat the food that we've got. Yeah. Buy less, get better at eating it, put things in the freezer if they're going to go off, all those kinds of things. So yeah. that's a really – and I was kind of brought up that way anyway. Mm. So I found that, kind, that came quite naturally. So that's been a really big part of that, you know, just – having you know very little food waste or composting what we do have so it's been a big part of it uh, the way we purchase our food is a really big one as mm. well so we buy we're part of a buying co-op so we source a lot of stuff and 
uh, when I say we're part of it, like we place an order through it. There's a wonderful lady who does all the hard work. Nice. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, because for me, a change has to take the same amount of time and money or less, otherwise it's not going to stick yep. for us. And totally. that's very much my husband's yep. motivation. He's very driven by time. So I think, you know, that's an important part of any journey of change is knowing your why and knowing the why of the people around you so that you can find solutions that matter. Mm. So, yeah, buying a lot of our food in bulk. And I'm not talking about buying things by the pallet load. I'm talking about, you know, even if you're at the supermarket, you know, double-length toilet paper is a good example. Or you're buying a 500-grade bag of rice, look down on the bottom shelf and you'll find that there's 5 or 10 kg bags down there, which is a whole lot less plastic for, you know, more product. So, yeah, kind of that bulk mentality. And then the big one is just that, that mentality of making do. So <clears throat> I think, you know, whenever... If I go, I'm going off piste a little bit here, so stop me. I need to. But, you know, if whenever I'm at a party and I start talking to people and I tell them what I do, one, they get really uncomfortable and look really awkward and guilty uh, because, you know, probably not and start making excuses as to why they're not more sustainable but the number one barrier that comes up is I'd love to be more sustainable but I don't have the time. Mm. So a big thing for me is also to demystify and unpack this concept of convenience. Because in, yes. in our, you know, and we've talked about this already in terms of people are really time poor, convenience is just, you know, rules everything. But yeah. I kind of feel like we've been sold a little bit of a dummy on convenience in terms of, you know, you look at supermarkets. When I was growing up, supermarkets were open five and a half days a week, you know, kind of business hours. So everybody learned how to drive in the supermarket car park. Don't know mm. where how to drive now, but, you know, supermarkets went open on a Sunday, so you could yep. drive in the car park. Now they're open seven days a week, if not 24 hours a day. Yep. Right? Mm. So, and the perception of that is that it's more convenient. We're just, we're shopping more now mm. than in the time in history. You know, we can go whenever we want. So, yep. we, you know, very few of my kind of friends in my social circles uh wouldn't, this is a double negative, wouldn't go to the supermarket multiple times a week. So most people yeah. go to the supermarket multiple times per week, right? And you know, I went we, last night and the night before. Yeah, case in point, right? <laughs> and you don't end up just going to buy the one or two things you need, right? You end up buying, you know, you're like, how did I just spend $142? Yep. <laughs> Particularly when I take my daughter like I did the last two yeah. nights. Like, come on, let's go to the supermarket. Let's have a quick, let's go. And she's yeah. like, oh, can I get one of these? Can I get one of these? It's like, oh, all right, all right. Yeah, because it's yeah. designed, the store is orchestrated to do that, you know. So uh, so I think, for you know, for me, it's a, a big part of it has been unpacking that and demystifying that concept of convenience to the point that I mm. now know that if I don't have to leave the house, that's the most convenient thing I can do. Yes. Right? So, and a lot of that is re reigniting our concept of resourcefulness, right, in terms of, oh, you know, we kind of, when it comes to food, it's like, what do we feel like for dinner? Oh, mm. okay, we feel like this, but we haven't got this, this, and this, so we'll shoot out and get it. Yep. Whereas if we flip that and go, what have we got? Yep. We're we having this. Yeah, <laughs> yes, exactly. And yeah. I mean, it's not going without. It just fosters quite a nice sense of creativity. But, mm. it, you know, for me, it, and it's more convenient because you're not having to leave the house. Even, you know, we, we, we eat takeaways from time to time for sure. And even when we get takeaways, I'm like, I actually could have cooked something. Yes. <laughs> yeah, totally. I had that. I think it was fr Fridays, like Friday nights. I'm typically so cooked after a week of talks, podcasts. Sure. events stuff you, you're crawling into the weekend and it's kind of like my wife's the same she's kind of like uh, should we just do uber eats and it's like uh, and last friday she was like oh i'm not massively hungry and i'm like well i'm not gonna there's no point getting takeout for if it's just me and so i kind of was forced into having to 
make do with what we had at home. And I sort of made like a mini pizza with a, a leftover wrap, you know, that my daughter hadn't had in her lunch that week. And there was some grated cheese and a little bit of salami. It's like, took me 10 minutes to make a pizza. Um, and it saved us probably a hundred bucks of food that is probably, probably bad for us. Not that, you know, necessarily homemade pizza is good for you, but yeah, I was tired. It was comfort food. Um, yeah, that's awesome. yeah. It's, it's interesting. This whole, I think we, the, the modern world is this convenience consumer capitalist world where the expectation, I think perhaps in New Zealand, we're a little bit more sheltered from this than you hear of some of the things that happen in particularly like the U S and, and maybe around in Europe where, you know, you can order something on Amazon and if it's not there that afternoon, you're shitty about it. Yeah. You know, at least here we still have that. It, it might take a week, you know, we're kind of used to that. Yeah. Um, but I think this is the real, the real mindset shift that we need to get around is, is it's not going to be doing more with less. It's actually doing less with less as a mindset that, will not only be better for us, but also better for the planet and your wallet and, and the whole the whole thing. Yeah, and I think what you're doing is kind of leading into that, mm. you know, which is super cool. Yeah, and I think that's the thing. We have become really wired for that instant. Like, <clears throat> it feels good, you know? We have yeah, yeah. Something, you get it, you had that endorphin release, you know? It's yep. neuroscience, right? It's, it feels good. Yep. And, and that's what we're surrounded by that narrative, right? Whereas what I've found is, you know, and I um, I wrote about this in my book actually, but I, I remember when I was 14 years old and I wanted a pair of Levi's 501s mm. and I was earning $4.16 an hour and they cost $120. So it took me a really long time mm. to save for them, but man, did I want them, you know? Yeah. So I saved for months. I got them. I did so much research. You know, I finally got them. I wore them to with an, an inappropriate inch of their life. You know, just, <laughs> they got turned into shorts, and then they eventually got made into a handbag. And and man, you know, that was it. Instant gratification? Absolutely not. Mm. Was it delayed gratification? Absolutely. Did it mm. Oh my gosh! You know, yeah. I still remember. I literally, and it's, it seems ridiculous, but I've literally got goosebumps now remembering back to that mm. you know, because it was something I'd waited for for a long time. And I think we've we've lost that as well. Like instant gratification is wicked. I get it, but there is an alternative. You know that, and I do a lot of my shopping, clothes shopping secondhand. When you find that that thing, like holy moly, it feels good. Yeah. No, I think yeah, you've hit on so much there. I think, and um, I often refer to in my sort of purpose stuff, you know, this and this stat was from a couple of years ago, maybe three or four years ago, so it might be more now. But globally, the advertising and marketing industry spends about five hundred billion dollars a year trying to convince you that you're not good enough unless yeah. you have the latest and yeah. greatest thing. And as the individual, you don't have five hundred billion dollars of anti-jamming software, yeah. you know, sort of to, to block that the stuff that i remember that this is a cool one it was i think it was in aussie um the the harvey norman advert that used to be like go harvey go harvey go like, he tried to sue them because he said that the jingle was so invasive into his head he couldn't get it out of his head and he's like you have invaded my mental real estate to the level that i can't shift it I haven't asked you to be in my head, but you're there all the time. And it went, it went to court. I'm pretty sure, but in the end, they said no. We're not. You know, you, 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 there's no case here. Although, you know, didn't it, nothing happened for him. But it's an interesting thing to ponder on. It's like you know, oh, you, really you, is. And I was lucky enough to do a TEDx uh, talk last year. Nice. And I that was the angle that I took was actually there's been no marketing campaign 
for sustainability. There's a mark, there's a you know a trillion dollar marketing campaign for consumption, but there's yep. no you know imagine as you say imagine if that budget was put behind mindful consumption, what would that look like? What would that sell? Well, you know, was, maybe we should. Um... Maybe we should do this because I, I would love to get a cooperative of people who see that, you know, less with less is, is the way forward and start buying up some ad space. Like imagine having a big, buying a big billboard together and just having on it, buy nothing today, ring a friend and say hi. Yeah. You know, yeah. or I've seen in some, I think it's in the US, there's some people who like there'll be an advertising hoarding that um, is blocking a really beautiful view of nature and so what they do is they they take a photo behind the the ad and then they put the the, the scene that has been blocked on the ad onto the ad so that it makes <laughs> it is brilliant oh you know, kind of like guerrilla sort of anti advertising uh, maybe we should start a thing here you know oh, yeah. I'm sure, there's a, I'm sure between us and Kogo and some other um you know some other people um we do pretty well. Yeah, Ruth uh, van der Brink is saying, yeah, it boggles my mind that so many resources are put into vaporous, non-productive stuff. Yeah. Yeah. yeah that's yeah. really interesting, isn't it? But yeah. it's um, it's such a strong norm. And, I mean, lockdown was an interesting social experiment in that respect, right? Like yeah, how yeah. people actually went, because you couldn't consume in the way that you normally could, that was a massively positive thing. And so many people, you know, were seeing the benefits of that. And I was cautiously optimistic Incorrectly, cautiously optimistic that they would kind of carry on beyond that. But I think the narrative is so strong around consumption yeah, and yeah. resource put against it that it's, yeah. Mm. It's really, really hard um, because, like I say, I refer back to the. Um, um, like the government, like on one hand, yeah, business confidence is up. On the other hand, uh, you know, mental health is up, or you know, mental health, uh, yeah. poor mental health is up. It's like. None of you looked at the research in terms of rabid consumerism, you know, spending money, increasingly more of that is based on debt that you will never pay off to buy shit you don't need to make yourself feel happy because you don't like your life, which is essentially, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Uh, although, you know, and the, and the other argument that kind of comes in is, well, if we buy less, then what's going to happen to, you know, businesses and things like that? Yeah, yeah. Again, it's like, you know, you look at, I remember at one conference, it might have been a Westman's conference, Wishbone Bikes. Yes. You know, and I think I was, was that the one in Christchurch? I think I was at that one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. yeah you spoke at it actually, yeah. And uh, I remember them talking about the fact that they were really going to embrace the fact that the secondhand market for their bikes. So yes. about putting a trade me feed onto their website so that people could yeah. see there was still value in them. And it made yeah. business sense from the point of view of people could then see the value of the investment because they're a high price, you know, yep. price ticket one. Uh, but it was also fostering that reuse and that continuation. And then they obviously looked at the simplification of component parts so that repair was easy and stuff. And it was smart business as well as, you know, not necessarily about selling more. You know, it was yep. about adding value and creating a connection with their products. So, mm. so you know, and reuse and all of those things, like I think there is, uh, just because it's not kind of traditional sell more, make more model mm. there is such you know from a more mindful consumption model there's still such a massive mm. business opportunity we just got to think 100 mm. percent, because it's the whole um have you read any of david graber's stuff he, he's the bullshit jobs guy you know he he oh, yeah. 
sort of defines most of the jobs in the modern world. I think there's like four or five. There's like the flunky um, and there's like these other descriptions of, of jobs that are jobs for no reason other than that it's a job that's been made to, to kind of make another human feel better rather than actually, you know, uh, true service to, to, to the community or society at large. And I kind of get that sense is that there's so many people in bullshit jobs. And, and I've said it a few times on, on this podcast. Um, it was a YouGov survey from the British government. And it's something like 43-ish percent of people surveyed in, in Britain felt that their job provided them with no meaning. And in fact, they considered their job was more than likely um, contributing to destroying the planet. So we've got people, to, which is potentially where you were headed. Like if you'd stayed, if you if you kind of been forced to stay in corporate for whatever reason, you know, whether it was, you know, sort of financial circumstances or just lack of courage to, to sort of step out and, and just tip the table a little bit rather than flip it. Um, you could see how you, you could be, and there's probably some of your colleagues who are still there, who are just like, I, I don't see a way out, but I kind of know that what I'm doing now is not great. And so for me, it's like, is it, it's, it's, I'm amazed that more people don't have a mental health crisis than we actually have because of how we're doing it. And yeah, how do we create this kind of degrowth economy where we have noble jobs that are actually worthy of humans doing that are, aren't just a bullshit job that's creating a financial return for someone at the end of the the chain whilst destroying the planet. And it kind of feels like no one, um, no one's really having that conversation. You know, I mean, people like us are, but at, at, a, at a high level, all you ever hear at every election is, well, we're going to create jobs. And it's like, great. Are they going to be good jobs? Are they going to be good jobs that are creating something that human needs? Or is it you're just going to set up another factory making widgets to sell them to people that don't really want to buy widgets? Interesting. Yeah. And I, I think, you know, a big part of it is also the thing that's popping into my brain at the moment is social enterprises like all heart who are repurposing a lot of uh you know corporate kind of furnishings and materials that would have otherwise you know and creating jobs in that way and that's finding value in stuff that's already there as opposed to finding value in things that are you know so so yeah it's it's totally possible it's just looking at value in a different way i think that is so it's yeah we definitely need to to shift the dial on that one and shift our thinking for sure mm. which you know you're you're a part of that um i think um increasingly you know, businesses um like wishbone you know that, that are being brave about it and i think they are a great example because like we, we had one of the, their push bike or what they called the um scooter kind of bikes uh, mm. for our daughter um it lasted, you know, and then obviously it converts into a tricycle. So you're kind of getting two products for the price of one. Yeah. Um, it is just bulletproof and it's currently boxed up in the attic. And my wife's like, no, we're keeping that for if, if our daughter has kids, cause it will last. Mm. And, you, and, and that's a very different mindset from the organization that's required. And I think historically that's what it used to be. You know, you, you'd, you'd inherit your grandparents' furniture because yeah. it would last because it was designed to last hundreds of years whereas now you're lucky to have one desk or one table that would last even your lifetime let alone a move between two houses because it's so flimsy and so we've got more businesses selling more stuff but then we're also losing so many things like you know your repair services and your yep 
make yeah, yeah. those kinds of things. So, yeah, to yeah. me, it's a little bit, you know, um, the balance has gone out a little bit. And I think, you know, just kind of looping back to businesses as well, I think, you know, my attitude is not that everything needs to change. My attitude is how does everybody and every business have an attitude of being better? Mm. You know, in terms of wherever you are, wherever your job is, even if you are in an organisation where, you know, the output might not necessarily be something you agree with, how do you uh, try and influence that for the better as well? Like, it's never going to be perfect, but how do you make mm. that better? Because that's my attitude, is it's not a black and yep. white, everything must go and we must do this. It's a, yeah. it's a wherever you are as an individual or as an organisation, how do you focus on being better and if everybody has the attitude then that's amazing and I when I first started working with corporates I'm like oh my gosh how do I change all of my content to be organizational specific right because I've been very mm. focused on individual yep. and then I was like I'm starting to talk to more and more organizations and more and more corporates how do I I've got to change my content and then mm. I went why do I need to change my content yeah. because an organization is a group of Individual. Individuals, love it. And if I can appeal to, and, and change starts within organisations because of individuals. So if I can talk to a you know a room full of three hundred people, and and even one or two of them as individuals go, oh, I'm into this, then yeah. that can create that ripple effect of change within their organisation as well. So yeah. yeah, I had I had exactly the same with the purpose stuff, and it's it's very very similar for me. It's it's um, you know, an even even an organisation that might from the outside be the most bullshit organization that's selling stuff that nobody needs at some point someone invented that product or service because they thought someone might need it or there might be a benefit and so step one for me is find the meaning and, and the contribution in what you're doing there has to be some contribution at some level yeah. then work out okay well whilst we're delivering that what are some of the unintended consequences mm. and actually you know the, the most meaningful um interactions we've had with with our customers quite often it's tangential to the like the core product or service that they're offering but oh yeah but when we do that for a not-for-profit and we see that they have a really big you know big impact in their community that felt good but when we're just kind of selling the same thing to punters who actually don't need it perhaps as much it doesn't feel as meaningful it's okay right well now you've got a sense as to where you might be able to start pivoting i hate that word pirouetting was the word i was using during oh, lockdown geez. it just sounds more fun i'm gonna have a pirouette um, yeah yeah it's like which is why it's grow good it's like find some good that you're doing connect to the good understand how that makes you feel why that's important for someone else and then build on it do more good and and i think it's it's for me it's hopeful because doing good is contagious and people fundamentally we're designed for contribution we're, de we're designed to do good it's just that all the other stuff we're busy and all the rest of it Oh, move back the term that I hadn't used for a long time, which was that law of attraction as well, right? Like it's just, you know, it's so powerful. And I do what I do because I fundamentally believe in the ripple effect of change. And wherever you are yeah. as an individual or an organisation, that you yeah. don't underestimate the power totally. that you will be able totally. beyond what you ever know. So, yeah. 100%. Yeah, yeah. And it's the same for me because like, I, I had a big... I was kind of like, how, how do you do organizational purpose? Because it's like, oh, it's complex. But exactly right. An organization is just a collection of individuals who've yeah. chosen to coalesce around a shared vision or product or service or idea. Yeah. And so if you influence a core group in the middle, they will just become attractors of the next group. And then those that don't want to play in the new paradigm will either vote with their feet or it'll be, you know, it'll be kind of become uncomfortable for them to be in, a, in an environment that now has a vision and a purpose and a sense of doing something better. And that they'll go and go and find somewhere else. Um 
Yeah, and just so, so yeah, Ruth Vandenbrink just kept she's smashing the comments. She was there reading uh, something uh, saying that demand worldwide increased over lockdown, which is why mm-hmm. we got so many shortages. And I think that was a big. I think people did feel kind of repressed for so long that it was kind of like I just now need to go and buy shit now that the shops are open. I, I need that retail therapy rather than maybe doing the the deep personal development work that they needed to do to realize why their life wasn't sufficient. And mm-hmm. you know that that for me that's kind of where I'm playing at trying to help people realize that keeping on buying stuff isn't isn't the isn't the solution to the the thing that's in your head that's telling you you're not good enough or you're not on not on the right track yeah Yeah. Mm. so how can um how can organizations or individuals get hold of you um to come and do some amazing mainstream green work with you yeah so just find me at mainstream green so i'm on mainstreamgreen.co.nz or i'm on mainstream green on all of the socials and on linkedin and mainstream green is just me you won't be diverted to the hr department or the finance department <laughs> i do sometimes get those emails a eh? to the finance department me. <laughs> yeah <laughs> it's me myself and i yeah. sorry i'm just busy making a cup of tea for the ceo currently yeah <laughs> So, yeah, Mainstream Green, you'll find me super easy just by searching for that. And um, let's just have a, you know, let's connect. Let's have a all because I think that's where that's where everything happens. I'm a big believer in the power of conversation. So even if totally. it's like you don't know what, you know, like we were just, you know, sort of banding about that idea of, you know, let's start a campaign or something. It's like that's where all the good stuff happens, just yep. the power of conversation. So totally. Just start. I think that's that is a big take-home message for everyone is is um i've just finished this uh, couple of cohort or program with two cohorts through nzte getting uh, organizations all around b corp stuff and getting them introduced oh. to the idea of you know doing doing more good and um a real take-home message particularly from chris herbert who um is a really cool person in helping organizations tell the story of the good that they're doing it's like you just have to start just take the first step. Yeah. It's going to feel awkward. Yeah. It's going to feel clunky. You're not sure if it's the right one, but yeah. taking a step is better than, like you say, that kind of paralysis analysis of, oh, yeah, but do we do this? Do we do that? It's like pick the one that's meaningful to you that you think you can do. Oh, and having my own business has been such a learning in that space. <laughs> so you can sit around and every kind of campaign or event or anything that I've done, you try and design it to be perfect and then you put it out into the real world and it, you, when you socialise it, it's totally different. So I've kind of learned that you just <laughs> you just got to put stuff out there and be human and be yeah. humble and accept the mistakes. Totally. And that's how you learn. Totally. And at the end of the day, the thing for me, I guess you, you might have this as well when you're giving talks and doing workshops is they, they don't know what you were going to present. So only only you know that, oh, that slide wasn't the slide I was thinking of putting in, but I changed it at the last. Like, they don't know that. And yeah. it'll be the same with your your customers or, yeah, if you're a business wanting to make change, like they won't know the 10 options that you were considering. Yeah. They'll just look at the one that you did. And if it's even half good, they'll go. I think most consumers in general, are supportive of organisations that are trying to make authentic steps in the right direction. And, and I, I feel... I think that's absolutely right. Yeah. Um, yeah, and I did some work with a pharmacy. Uh, I'm based in Cambridge in the Waikato and, and I did some work with a pharmacy down here. And they, the first thing they did, because so many businesses I work with are terrified of taking that next step because they're like, we need to have a strategy or we need to test this or we need to have the perfect this or we need to have the perfect that. And it's like, as long as you do it in an authentic and an open way, people are going to relate to that. So this pharmacy was yeah. like, 
okay, we're just going to start now. And they went out and they took a photo of their skip bin, which was full of all sorts of stuff that didn't need to be in there and kind of overflowing. And they took a photo of that skip bin and they placed it on social media and they went, we are starting today on a journey to reduce our waste. This is what it looks like now. We're not going to get it all right, but, you know, we really want to bring our customers on for the journey. And the outpouring of support was incredible, you know, because it was really, really relatable. And it also gave them some accountability to keep doing it as well. Yeah, mm. love it. Mm. fantastic hey well we we're a bit over time but we had some tech issues um yeah look thank you so much for um for yeah having a natter having a chat um love what you're doing i think there's a there's all a coalition of of people all we're all sort of pushing in similar directions and i think we're, we're increasingly our concepts are being increasingly mainstreamed so good on you for nailing mainstream green um yeah, any what's any sort of final thoughts, comments, suggestions? Like if, if people want to do something, obviously other than buying your book, reading, uh, watching your YouTube, uh, YouTube, your uh, TEDx talk. Mm. Any parting words of wisdom, advice for people? Oh, the first one would be just borrow the book from the library because I recognise the irony. Don't buy stuff, but buy my book. <laughs> You know, how refreshing. Like, yeah, actually, you should all buy five copies of my book. Yeah. I love it. Go to the library, get my book. I've actually got two, three copies, actually, with the old school library cards, like with the envelopes, nice. library card on the cover, making their way around uh, New Zealand. So you can get on that. Yeah, wouldn't you? Yeah, yeah. So, yeah, borrow my book uh, would be great. Just don't tell my publisher. And, and Sales um, are really like you're giving all these talks, but no one's buying your book. It must be us. Our marketing's clearly rubbish. Yeah. <laughs> oh, very supportive. Thank you. Uh, so, yeah, absolutely. I think the biggest thing for me is just to flick a switch, you know, break that autopilot wherever it feels good. You know, change should feel good. So just use yep. either something that's really frustrating you or something that you're really drawn to and just flick a switch and make a change. And it doesn't have to be perfect, just start. Love it. Mm. Fantastic advice. Hey, well, thank you, uh, peoples of the interwebs, for tuning in and apologies for our technical difficulties. Um, but yeah, thank you so much, Nick. That was uh, super cool to reconnect with you. And it's good to see, you know, good to hear you're doing well. People are interested in what you're doing as well because. We need more people to be interested in that. So, yeah, thank you so much. Uh, I don't know who, who my next... I've, I've been a bit sporadic with my bookings on this thing because life's been busy, um, doing lots of workshops and talks and stuff like that. So, um, yeah, don't know who my next guest is. Watch this space. Give me any recommendations of who you'd like me to have a chat to. Cognizant that I've had a lot of uh, very awesome wahini on my uh, stream <laughs> recently, but not many fellas. So, come on, fellas. Who, who are the fellas doing some good stuff? Paul Evans, I should probably get you on. Oh, yeah. He seems, like a, he seems like a decent rooster. Oh, Paul's yeah. incredible. Yeah, he'd be amazing. And thank you too to you for all the amazing mahi you do as well. So thank you. Yeah, really proud. Awesome. Oh, we'll catch you later. Awesome. Cheers. See ya. And that's a wrap. Hey, thank you so much for listening into my podcast. I hope you found it informative and inspirational. I'd love to know where you are on your purpose journey. And if you have any specific questions or people you'd like me to interview to help you on that journey, please do let me know. Also, feel free to connect with me on other social media platforms. You can check out all those links in the show notes below. And if you want to see how I might be able to help you specifically on your purpose journey, you can go and check out my website, www.growgood.co, or drop me a line by email, tim at growgood.co. All those links will also be in the show notes. I would genuinely love to hear from you. 
But anyway, until next time, go well and keep seeking that purpose-filled performance in your life. <laughs>